All aboard the MBIT Podcast with Seamus Madan. Welcome to another episode of the Ambit Podcast. I'm your host, Seamus Medan, and today Ashley Iden joins the show. Ashley is empowering and funding Latinx and woman investors with the VC firm Vamos Ventures. The firm invests in many diverse founders and teams, mission-oriented companies across health, wellness, fintech, sustainability, future of work, and commerce. Some staggering stats about the venture capital firm is 100% of their portfolio is diverse-led, over 40% of portfolio companies are woman-led, and over 90% of portfolio companies are Latinx-led. So first off, thank you, Ashley, for taking the time to join the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat today. Definitely. So before we dive deep into venture capital and diversity in the industry, let's start off with your background. You're Puerto Rican and Turkish from Staten Island, New York. And I actually grew up in New York for the first few years of my life. How was your journey growing up? And then how has your home environment impacted your life journey to where you are today? Yeah. You know, I think the two cultures, the Turkish side and the Puerto Rican side, it's more of a nice combination than it is sort of a, a clash because they're both very warm, passionate cultures. And, you know, that that makes me very appreciative of my background. But I grew up in a very sort of blue collar type of environment. I grew up in Staten Island, New York. We often say it's the forgotten borough of New York. And, you know, very much had a lot of those folks around me, you know, very much of, you know, if you become sort of a plumber or a teacher or a firefighter you were doing sort of amazing work and it very much was amazing work. And that's sort of all I knew until I got to, you know, high school and then college where I started learning about other types of industries. My parents, by the way, are blue collar workers. My mom's a postal worker. My dad worked in construction and is a, you know, manager of a, of a building. And so from a very young age though, they taught me as with growing up in Staten Island is that hard work pays off, whether it's with your hands or with your mind. And so I, I took that with me throughout my journey for, for the rest of my life. My dad immigrated here in his very early 20s from Turkey. He's from Istanbul. And my mom's just a traditional Brooklyn girl. She grew up in a family of five. You know, again, that hustler type of mentality. And so I'm very appreciative of the way that I grew up because, again, it taught me that hard work does pay off, whether it's with your hands or with your mind and or both, and that I came from such humble beginnings in that I wasn't really around a lot of these sort of glamorous type of stories. It was very sort of bare bones and and, and sort of very uh, natural, if you will. And so, you know, I, I started learning more about this startup venture capital space, literally coming home after school and seeing my dad, because he was always very curious. And I think that's where I get my curiosity from, by the way, watching the big idea with Donnie Deutsch on CNBC every every single day and noticing, wow, there's a true American story that's real here and that people are achieving it no matter what their backgrounds are and where they come from. And that was the beauty and the openness of, of seeing that at such a young age, my parents instilling that in me. And I can get to sort of how I got to this space eventually, but those were sort of the, the beginnings and, and the inner workings. Yeah. And after you graduated high school, you hold you decided to go to Brown. You got a bachelor's degree at Brown and then an MBA from MIT Sloan. And mm -hmm. as a first generation college student, what challenged you to accomplish both of those goals? And then how did you overcome those challenges? 
Yeah. You know, I, I was part of the first graduating class of my high school, actually. It's the CSI High School for International Studies. There were 90, maybe 95 kids in the class. And so I was navigating this whole academic world myself from the beginning. My Both my parents dropped out of like high school and so did not really have any context there, anyone again, to sort of look up to as, oh, they graduated from a prestigious MBA program. But uh, because of that, my parents very much instilled in me as well that education is important. There's power in education and there's power in attending these prestigious universities because there's a network that you get coming out of it that will just present you with opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise. And, and so I worked very, very hard academically. I was pretty much a nerd with my head in the books all of high school. I ended up getting into my first choice, Brown. And then eventually, after some work experience and after graduating from Brown, decided to do an MBA because I wanted to more round out my experience, especially given that I've come from, and I can get to you know the specifics in a second, but especially as I've become as I had more experience in sort of the strategy startup world, I wanted to get more technical, hence why I chose MIT as a place that I would get my MBA again to round out that skill set. But yes, very much so that being a first generation college student, I really didn't have the resources and had to sort of rely on folks that were in my network or that I would do cold outreach to, to say, you know, how is your path going to this university? How is your path going to get an MBA at this school? And what are sort of the things to think about? And maybe what should I highlight in my applications and my work and um, academic experience so far that'll really make me, you know, stand out from the application pool? Definitely. And fast forwarding a few years, you started your professional career over at Morgan Stanley in capital markets and then moved into strategic roles over at Shopteeks and then focused on consumer technology. Where did you first become interested in finance, technology, and the intersection between the two? Yeah, that, that happened mostly at, at Brown University. So in, in my undergrad experience, Brown, by the way, was, is named, I think the stats are all really, really impressive. One of the most entrepreneurial schools, undergrad schools in, in the nation, just I think because of the open curriculum and how creative people are, and it's just inherent in the Brown culture. But so I started taking, I actually went to Brown thinking I wanted to become a corporate or entertainment lawyer. And so I started out with a political science major, but eventually started getting more into these business-like classes and saw, wow, there's like a lot of cool things that you could also do in the business world. And so double concentrated in economics. And started very much, again, just becoming interested in sort of the startup, the wealth generation, the big ideas, the big vision through my participation in the Brown Entrepreneurship Program. And I led that organization as well as founded an organization called Lady Launchers as part of it that got together women who were interested in entrepreneurship and building things. And I think through those conversations and through connecting with like-minded individuals, there was an interesting path starting to develop and, and a journey that you know, I said to myself, wait, like I could definitely do maybe a two year stint out of school, learn baseline and have a good foundation as to what finance is and company building and whatnot. And then maybe go out and build something on my own because I hear all these success stories. And again, everyone has such different experiences, lived experiences, work experiences, but they're still able to build if they do focus on a really important and big pain point, right? And so it was just wonderful that Brown supported that type of open environment and open conversation through the Brown Entrepreneurship Program, through Lady Launchers, and fostered a lot of creativity. So that was my first in and learning about 
this world that is startup venture world. And then after Brown, I went to work in capital markets at Morgan Stanley, really learning about how public companies work, the storytelling behind it, what moved them. And I really chose Morgan Stanley because I wanted not only the brand name, but also, again, that baseline skill set and analytical skill set that I could take away in my next roles, knowing that at some point I wanted to go back into sort of startup world. And so after two years at Morgan Stanley, I went to work for a YC startup, shopteeks.com. Basically what Shopteeks is, is sort of an Etsy for boutiques, builds digital storefronts for mom and pop shops and did everything there from like being on the phones, calling customers saying, Hey, you know, Shopteeks will build out your digital storefront. And this is the way to sort of compete with the other major players like Amazon and getting your items, you know, up and and visible to thousands and thousands of consumers to doing all like the business development strategy type work around like fundraising and thinking about how to hit numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And then after that, I wanted to go back into corporate world to figure out how to be sort of like an entrepreneur and how to build technologies for bigger companies and how to even buy technologies for bigger companies and did a few different corporate strategy, digital strategy type roles at Saks Fifth Avenue and Estee Lauder working on things such as virtual beauty, you know, buy online, pick up in store, meeting the consumer where this consumer is at and making sort of a seamless shopping experience. And so I thought that having these different perspectives would better inform if I did want to go out and build something eventually, what I actually wanted to do, or if I wanted to, you know, decide to go to the the investor route, that it would inform me as to where there's white space and how to invest in these companies and what makes these companies successful. Totally. And then over at Morgan Stanley, what are some of the things that you worked on over there? And what were your top lessons from not only Morgan Stanley, but also your previous careers that you have learned that you brought in with you into the venture capital space? Well, first and foremost, it's always asking questions and being curious. I think, you know, early on in my career, I was kind of, I was embarrassed to sort of speak up and I didn't really think that I had something important to say. But what I've learned over time is that no matter how young you are, how inexperienced you are on a relative basis, like you still have something important to say because you still offer a diverse perspective, right? Again, going back to lived and work experience. So it was one, speaking up and being curious and asking questions constantly that shows folks that you're also interested in what you do and what they're saying. I'd also say that like the power of reading and storytelling, I know the storytelling thing is a big theme with me, but it's true. You're always telling a story and you're always selling something, whether it's your experience why someone should work with you, why someone should give you capital. And so from very early on, I realized even with public companies, right, in public markets, that you had to sort of sell someone on a story that you believed in and that the stock was going up or that the company was going to be successful, right, and in the public markets. So I would say those were the two big lessons. The third I'll actually mention is the power of diversity. And diverse teams just generally perform better, the data says. Diversity of thought allows for better, more inclusive conversations. And it's nice to see that slowly but surely, a lot of these worlds, whether it's financial services or venture capital or you know technology, that they are getting more diverse and there is more representation. You know, I couldn't say that you know ten years ago, but now I'm seeing more and more, and it's reassuring. And I do see that there are better, faster, more efficient technologies being formed because of it. 
Definitely. And you mentioned diversity in venture capital and some staggering statistics I wanted to bring up is that only about 12% of decision makers at VC firms are women. And then only 65% of firms still don't have a single female partner, according to Forbes. So now this is clearly a huge problem. Why does this lack of diversity exist? And then what can we do to solve it? I think VC has involved in such a way that it appears that and you know, folks believe that maybe all good ideas come from tradition, right? Traditional founders, men who maybe graduated from Stanford and Harvard, who've built really great technologies. And although there's a lot of opportunity in that, that's just not true today in that all successful founders look like that, right? Women often start companies specifically to solve problems they face in everyday lives. Women have a lot of purchasing power. They're more educated, they're hustling, they're taking care of a lot of different things in the household. And so they're the key decision makers in a lot of things regarding life. And that means that they have a lot of sway and that they have a lot of good ideas. And so I think there's become more of this understanding now, again, slowly but surely, that we should be investing in these really smart, this really smart demographic that is the woman demographic and female founders, and that they do have great things and great contributions to the startup world, right? It isn't just sort of the old guard. And I think that because you're diversifying also the investor pipeline, that you're inherently getting more diverse startup pipeline in that women are more likely, actually, you know, startups with one female founder hire up to 2.5 times more women and women venture capitalists invest up to two times more in female founders, right? And so as you diversify sort of the capital allocator role, you're naturally diversifying sort of the funding that's going to women. But I think that to answer your question, the, the space is still very traditional and it it takes that, it takes sort of, you know, more investors who are diverse coming into this space and more founders who are diverse coming into the space to change it. Because again, not all successful founders come from, you know, are white males from Stanford and Harvard. There's a lot more opportunity right. than that. And then how do you think we can get more of these founders and more venture capitalists who are diverse uh, involved in the space? I think it really does go back to sort of education at the earliest stages. You know, I, again, didn't really know about the venture capital space before like college mostly, and even the startup space when I started getting more involved. But that's because I had resources out there to teach me and to show me sort of these case studies and stories that this path was attainable. I think if you start very early on, even high school, even middle school, so be it, that you show, you know, more diverse folks that, hey, like venture capital is a very interesting career path that you can have a lot of say and a lot of a lot of power in sort of the new technologies that are shaping this country. On the founder side, it's more of like, this path is also very attainable to you in that you have a very, you know, a pain point that you're that you're wanting to solve. And all you have to do is just build, right? And get the folks, the right folks around you to build this idea. And that these paths are extremely attainable, no matter what your background, no matter what your status, no matter, you know, anything that you're trying, that you're doubting yourself with. And so I think it's education at the earliest stages. It's also having folks to look up to that look like you, that come from your background, again, to say, I could get to this spot. Yeah, I think education at the earliest stages is a really good point. Because even now I'm in high school, and I talk with a lot of venture capitalists through the podcast. 
And some of my classmates know the podcast ask, hey, what, what are some of the people and types of people you talk with? And when I bring up the term venture capital, they have no clue. It's like they've never heard of it before. So I really do think that's really important to bring that into school systems, into the curriculum. And before we wrap it up here, what are some of your takeaways uh, for the audience? And then where do you hope to see uh, venture capital and um, entrepreneurship uh, five, 10 years from now? Yeah. Well, I hope that it's definitely a more diverse (laughs) entrepreneurial ecosystem. I want to see more women capital allocators, people of color and capital allocator positions. And I want to see a more diversified startup pipeline. By the way, I don't think it's a you know, there, there's different arguments about whether it's a pipeline issue or not. I think there are amazing founders out there. It's just that folks aren't really looking for them or looking for them in the right places. And so I want to see more curiosity in this space from investors to go out and find these types of entrepreneurs. I guess the one thing that I'll, that I'll leave everyone with is, you know, this path is a really interesting path. I highly encourage you to talk to as many people as possible on uh, breaking into venture capital, on being a founder, the pros and cons, and you know, get folks that'll be real with you because there are pros and cons to to everything. You know, VC isn't always such a glamorous lifestyle, right? There, there's definitely difficult and hard parts about the job, but these are viable paths. And for founders in particular, too, always. Don't underestimate your story. You know, you need to sell a vision and a world that doesn't exist yet, but that you're building for and that you will disrupt and make this world come to life, right? Put together a great deck that goes through all the the points, the problem, the market, the opportunity, the solution, the business model, the milestones, the traction, the ask. And, you know, but mostly like humanize the problem. This is for founders, but even also for investors, right? You want to try to, when the founder's on the other side, try to put yourself in that place of that founder. Try to understand their experience and why, you know, what brought them to wanting to build this. And, you know, if they talk about different personas in their deck and as it relates to the problem, really, again, make a big effort to get in those shoes. I think it'll change your perspective and you'll probably give more folks more shots in in pitching. Absolutely. Those are some great points. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to leave a five-star review down below. And thank you very much, Ashley, for taking the time to join the podcast today. It was a pleasure. Thank you.